0: this is Kenya, and welcome to my Magical Cottagecore Life. Today, we're going to cover something kind of gross, kind of slimy. And I'm not a fan of gross and slimy, but I just found it so interesting. I often travel the library paths of the unknown and unusual. And I ran across this and I was like, you can't be serious. So, you know, I I just kind of left it alone. And I said, lately, I've been following my research paths again. And I was led to this topic again. And I decided to really investigate it. And I found it fascinating. Now, I know Cottagecore, core, all the cores are mostly nature-based. And a lot of the time, we like to do stuff like foraging, or we like to talk about being in the woods, or hanging out with mushrooms and toads and snails. But I must admit, I have never, ever thought about drinking a snail. So we're going to talk about this. So open up your big book of stuff and turn to the section in antiquities for recipes or receipts because they used to be known as receipts. And we're going to talk about snail milk. So make a notation in there and put snail milk and if you have an illuminated book of stuff you might be imitating the old um, monks works in the different monasteries where they had knights fighting snails yeah this might be a good page for that so let's get started This episode is brought to you by Soul, the juke joint era. Join us for the next evolution of the Soul Supper Club series. The Soul Supper Club series invites you to a seat at my ancestors table. This culinary essay is a celebration of music, community, food, drink, and history. On June 5th, we will dig deeply into the culinary history of the African-American diaspora, paying homage to the juke joint. The history of the juke joint began as community rooms set up on many southern plantations as hangouts for captive Africans who weren't able to leave the premises to socialize elsewhere. Similar spaces were often provided at places like work camps, including lumber, levee, and turpentine camps. As time progressed, this idea evolved. As segregation and Jim Crow laws loomed over the very existence of African Americans, underground places to socialize and unwind began became commonplace these establishments were also performance venues for jazz and blues acts that weren't booked in white establishments the juke joint was also prevalent during the times of prohibition the juke joints had moonshine flowing in a time where alcohol was prohibited giving african americans to food and lively music dishes like fried chicken, barbecue, greens, beans, and sweet potato pie were on the menu. Inexpensive cuts of meat, harvests from local sharecroppers, catfish from the creek, food that was accessible was highly seasoned and served up hot. The juke joint was an outlet for our people, not only as a social respite, but as an entrepreneurial opportunity that was under the radar of Jim Crow. We present Soul Juke Joint an immersive culinary experience that channels the spirits of our ancestors who defied adversity in the name of a good time. Now, if we go back to earlier times, When people were looking for whatever could work to alleviate alleviate ailments, and they were using things like the doctrine of signatures or other things to try to figure out how to use the world around them to make themselves feel better, You would think that they would stick to plants more often than not. But if we go with the way that the mind can work back in olden times, and if a person had a condition like consumption, which generally is known to be TB in many circles, And they had that cough trying to expel or in their thoughts expel the tubercules. But that's not what was really happening. But they might have thought that something that was slimy would help them cough out whatever was stuck in there. Or if they didn't have enough mucus they may feel have felt that Ingesting something that had an excess of mucus might be good. Work with me. We're, we're getting to a point here. And I'm not judging people. I want to put this out here. I'm not judging anyone if that's what they thought was best back then that's what they were doing however I am also in no way encouraging anyone to make snail milk if this is something you do on a regular basis I can't stop you it's, It's not my business, but understand that snails often carry parasites, so you could get a parasitic infection, especially in some of the compendiums and the recipes you find that had other slimy creatures of the earth added with the snails. Things carry parasites or themselves are parasites that have eggs. So when I give you this information in this podcast, there is no way under the ever loving dipping daisies that I'm asking you to drink this or make this. I'm offering it as a curiosity, as something that I think you'll find interesting. Just remember, I'm not encouraging you to do it in any way under any of the ever loving, loving, dipping daisies of my life. And to be fair, many people enjoy snails, they truly enjoy them they are a delicacy but just because it's a delicacy doesn't mean everybody wants to eat it and I know people who love snails I know them in real life they love them they they buy them in the gourmet restaurants and grocery stores they serve them with a little bit of butter or a little garlic And they go to town. They enjoy them so much. And I know that in certain kinds of cooking, snails are a wonderful ingredient that people enjoy. I have some Asian acquaintances. And when I say Asian, I don't mean like Asia, this giant, massive uh, area of the world. I mean, specifically, I knew some people who were... um, what is what were they? What was their nationality? They were Cantonese. Okay. I had to remember. And they had snails. And and they thought they were wonderful. But snail, it had to be specific snails. And they had to be prepared in a certain way. So again, I am not judging anyone if that's what they choose to eat and enjoy it. If you have it. but not for me. Not for me. Again and again, I don't eat duck either. Everybody has their restrictions. Everybody has things they don't eat. For me, eating hard is also taboo. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Did you know that for some people, and estheticians will know about this, especially. Snails are used as part of facials, facial treatments, spa treatments, in order to moisturize the skin and to help fight the effects of aging allegedly and to help with wrinkles. So again, snails are still being used by people as a form of physical treatment or remedy. In this case, I can't attest to the efficacy of these treatments. I just know they exist and you can pay for them. So there are many people who still are definitely using snails as part of a treatment for human concerns. So it's not just about food. It's it's also about using them as some sort of remedy. want to make sure that you know I'm not joking. And if you want to try it, I want you to have the ability to indulge in this if it's something that interests you. There's a company called Holy Snails. And they take that, the, the excretion of the snails and they sell it as a beauty treatment so we're getting closer and closer to the topic um, that we first teased about We're, we're getting closer and closer first we're talking about eating them and then using them as a beauty treatment, and and now we're talking about how to buy them without having them on your face directly, but buying them from a company that has something like the mucus available, like holy snails. Even in uh, department stores, they have another product that has... uh snail product. It's, um, it's a snail treatment that you can buy. And I think they have it at Target. I'm not endorsed by Target, by the way. But, yeah. If this is an interest of yours, you can do this at home. I do recommend If you're doing anything, buy it pre-done because you don't want to grab parasites that may be present from your garden. So, to the point, snail milk is what it sounds like. You would take snails. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. Mary Napier, or Napier, which, she was a doctor's wife. And we can't say she was a doctor. But we don't know she wasn't. She may not have been accredited as a doctor. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't an accomplished apothecary. We really don't know because... It's not like the medical field was bristling with giving out academic merit to uh, many women at that time, but she prepared a recipe of snail milk in which she boiled a number of snails in milk, then picked them out in order for this milk to be consumed as part of treatment. Uh, there was also an alternative to this called snail water which you can imagine is simply the water version. Now the recipes are not the same, obviously, but I would be remiss in saying that these are the only recipes. In fact, I have read that as late as the 1970s, there, was, there were reports of people uh, still imbibing snail milk. I will cite my source in the episode description so that you can do my research. The reason I'm not giving, I'm not giving the, um, the exact recipes is because I really am not encouraging people to do self-medication with wildlife. I'm just not. I don't want you hurting innocent snails and I don't want you hurting yourselves trying to practice remedies in this way. And that's how I'm protecting both of us. We don't just put things in our mouth. We talked about that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a certified naturopath. I'm not a certified herbalist. So I am definitely not giving you treatment options. A good example of what not to do would be back in July of 2020 when a Facebook post got out of control and had people believing that mixing snails' water with evaporated milk would stop stroke. So again, don't just do things because you read them or heard them on the internet. Please. Especially with snails. Ew. Just don't. Just, just don't. I'm trying not to be judgmental, but ew. Don't do that. That milk is for pie. Leave that evaporated milk alone. That milk is for mac and cheese, not snails. Be remiss if I did not also cover another use of the poor snail when it comes to human ailments. There is a very old uh, treatment that was given in medieval times and I will cite my source also in this episode. And keep in mind that these um, segments in this episode are labeled. So it probably would be easier for you to find the information by looking at the episode header. But this particular translation by, um, by Claire Burridge, I believe it is, B-U-R-R-I-D-G-E, uh, talks about making a poultice for the eyes, for the eyes, and it's ground up snails, bay leaves, frankincense, and gum mastic, and I'm not giving you the proportions, I'm not giving you how to use it, because again, I don't want you just putting things in your eyes, remember, parasites, plus we don't just put things in our eyes. The skin is an organ. Our eyes are organs. And they are openings, not just to the soul theoretically or ideologically in a spiritual sense, but they are also openings to our body. And we don't want to introduce things into our body through anything that could hurt us. Now I want to point out that The preceding segment talks about it for teary eyes, and I told you don't do this, and don't put it in your eyes. The application of the poultice doesn't actually go on the eyes, it goes on the forehead, but that doesn't make it any better. You're probably asking, why is it that there's such a fascination with snails? And and what is it that the ancients and the modern people who study them and study biology and cellular repair are finding so interesting about them? Well, there is research being done. And, you know, we sell the ancients short a little bit. They often would find out things by trial and error. But keep in mind the error part of that trial, where people did die a lot of the time on things that worked, and they are finding in certain studies that there may be—and I said maybe—merit in the antimicrobial properties of snail slime or mucus or mucilage. Um, I don't know about the snail venom. Yes, snails have venom, and. They are also finding things like possible cellular repair properties. But I am not a scientist. I am a citizen scientist. But I am not an accredited, peer-reviewed scientist. I am a layperson. So I'll leave that to the experts to suss out. And I just present this as more information for the curious and the intrigued. I know this episode has been long. I'm not feeling well, so we're going at a snail's pace. You knew it was coming. There had to be a mom joke. It's been a minute. We could continue to eke out this eeky episode, about snails but I think I'm at my limit of talking about the slimy little suckers they're not something that I look for when I go into the woods and into the forest and into the meadows but they seem to always be there and I even have them in my garden trust me my strawberry patch is evidence that they are there as are my collard greens and my bok choy but I will also say this they can be, they're just not my cup of milk I also don't want to hurt them so it's not something that I've seen myself doing, uh, running around and scooping them up and boiling them, and then serving them with afternoon tea in a milk container to my friends. And we're friends, right? And as my friend, I'm not going to serve you snail milk, nor snail wine, nor snail ale. But if you'd like to eat snails at a restaurant with me one day... I will still count you as a friend but I will keep my plate far away from yours. And while it is very American of me to say that, very Midwestern, and I don't have the most cultured of palates, I will say this. I respect and enjoy being able to respect your right to eat whatever you should wish. Just maybe not in my milk. I will look forward to seeing you here again on my magical cottage car life.